A very good evening, ladies and gentlemen, if you've just joined us here on Fine Music Radio on this rather windy Friday evening here in the Mother City. It's now time for tonight's edition of Great Interpreters, and the subject for tonight's program is American soprano Leontine Price. Let's kick off straight away with her recording of Pace Pace Mio Dio from La Forza del Destino by Verdi.
Leontine Price, who celebrated her 81st birthday last month, was the outstanding lyric dramatic soprano of her generation, with a uniquely recognisable timbre. Many critics have argued that she possessed perhaps the most sumptuously beautiful soprano voice of the recording era, and Price herself famously declared that she adored the sound of her own voice. This self-assessment, which if uttered by any other singer might have smacked of arrogance, was endorsed by critics, conductors and audiences worldwide. Her reputation as the supreme interpreter of the middle period Verdi roles of the past century is undisputed. In the grand tradition, the esteemed critic John Steen writes of Leontine Price that one might conclude from recordings that she is the best interpreter of Verdi of the past century, while Platido Domingo wrote in his 1983 autobiography how the power and sensuousness of her voice was phenomenal, the most beautiful Verdi soprano I have ever heard. Even conductor Herbert von Karajan admitted that when he first heard Price's voice, it gave him goose pimples.
The Miserere there from Verdi's opera Il Trovatore, performed by Leontine Price and Placido Domingo, with a new Philharmonia orchestra conducted by Zubin Mehta. Leontine Price was born on the 10th of February 1927 in a black neighborhood of Laurel, Mississippi, in the United States. Her father, James, worked in the local sawmills, while her mother, Kate, worked as a midwife to bolster the family's income. Charging $10 for each baby she delivered, or sometimes even for a side of bacon or a barrel of peas, Kate Price delivered approximately 900 children and never lost a single mother. She did create some problems for the young Leontine, though, as the local children would often taunt her by saying, you didn't come the right way, your mama carries babies in her black bag. James and Kate Price had waited 13 years for a child, and Leontine became the focus of intense pride and love. At age three, her parents gave her a toy piano and she started her formal music education two years later, receiving piano lessons from a local teacher. As a young child, she was also a frequent visitor to the home of Alexander and Elizabeth Chisholm, an affluent white family for whom Price's aunt worked as a maid. Mrs. Chisholm was instrumental in encouraging Price's early piano playing and later her extraordinary singing voice. At age 10, Price was taken on a school trip to hear the legendary Marian Anderson, an inspirational experience that she later recalled as having left a deep impression. During her school years, she was very active as the accompanist for school concerts and functions and was considered as one of the most talented members of her high school choir. In 1944, she went on to the College of Educational and Industrial Arts in Iowa to study to be a music teacher. After hearing her sing in the choir one Sunday morning, however, the president of the college advised her to change her major from education and public school music to concentrate on her voice. After she earned her B.A. in June 1948, Price headed to New York to study at the famous Juilliard School of Music, where she had won a full tuition scholarship. There she received voice training from Florence Ward Kimball, a distinguished teacher. Kimball admits that, although she was at first impressed by Price, she hardly imagined that she had a future prima donna before her. I never dreamt it, she once said. I thought she seemed intelligent and had a pretty voice, but it never occurred to me that she would develop the way she has. In 1952, during her last year of study, Price gave a strong performance as Mistress Ford in a student production of Verdi's opera Falstaff. Upon seeing her in this production, Virgil Thompson immediately invited her to start in a revival of his opera, Four Saints in Three Acts, which ran on Broadway for three weeks in April 1952. Less than two months later, Price made her debut in Dallas on June 9, 1952, in a role that would carve her name in the minds of audiences everywhere, Bess, in a revival of Gershwin's Porgy and Bess.
For the next two years, according to Price, she was to sing at least four besses a week. Porgy and Bess toured across the United States and in Europe, eventually returning to New York's Ziegfeld Theatre on Broadway. On the eve of the European tour, Price married the man who had sung Porgy, the noted bass baritone William Warfield, at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, with many of the cast members in attendance. The union, however, was an unhappy one. In his memoirs, My Music and My Life, Warfield describes how the pressures and demands of their individual careers and the long period spent away from each other eventually forced the couple apart. They separated in 1967 and divorced in 1973. They had no children. In 1954, Price gave her debut recital in New York's town hall. The critics were enthusiastic, especially the Herald Tribune's Jay Harrison, who detected a goddess forming among us. In February 1956, Price sang the title role in Puccini's Tosca for NBC TV opera, thereby becoming the first black person to appear in a televised opera. Casting an African-American in the role of Tosca, Price later commented created quite a rumpus. Offended by the idea of a black opera singer, four southern NBC affiliates cancelled the broadcast. A videotape at the Museum of Television and Radio in New York City, however, shows an attractive young soprano with a natural acting style and easy shining top notes. Bess, Price would later comment, was a good preparation for Tosca. Both were strumpets, only Tosca dressed better.
Leontine Price there singing the famous Visidarte from Puccini's Tosca. And the specific recording was taken from the complete set of Tosca, conducted by Herbert von Karajan. Also in 1956, Price auditioned for the Austrian conductor Herbert von Karajan in New York on his first tour with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. Declaring her an artist of the future, he invited her to sing Zalume at La Scala, an offer that she wisely declined. In 1956 and 1957, Price made recital tours across the United States and travelled abroad to India and Australia, sponsored by the US State Department. On September the 20th, 1957, she made her operatic stage debut in the US premiere of Francis Poulenc's Dialogue of the Carmelites. On the strength of these performances, Price was asked to return to San Francisco a few weeks later to replace Antonietta Stella, who had fallen ill with appendicitis, in the title role of Verdi's Aida. A year later at Covent Garden, when Anita Cerquetti was forced to withdraw from Aida for the same reason, Price again stepped in to replace the indisposed soprano. My career, she would later joke, was launched on the appendectomies of Italian sopranos. Meanwhile, von Karajan, who had become intendant of the Vienna Staatsoper, invited Price to make her European operatic debut with him as Aida. This time, Price gladly accepted the maestro's offer, and on 24th of May 1958 she made her triumphant debut. This was followed, also in 1958, with a string of European debuts, appearing again as Aida at Covent Garden and at the Arena de Verona. The following year, in 1960, Price made her La Scala debut, also Aida, rather remarkably without a single stage rehearsal. After all, she said, what's the problem? The Nile can only be upstage. Her performance was met with rapturous applause and the La Scala audience shouted loudly with the words Brava Leonessa. In many ways, the role of Aida had a very special significance for Price. It not only suited her voice extremely well, but she also felt that she could relate to Aida because of her skin colour. There is a critic in, I think it was in the Scala, who said, um, when Ferdi had lived, he had thought you were the ideal Aida. And you also have said it's, it's a, Aida was a long time a part of my life. But what do you mean by that? It's, uh, Aida was special to me because it was the one opera role where the color of my skin was my costume. In other words, the skin color was the strength of the, of the, of the role as well as the composer's notes also fit my voice. So that made Aida very special and easier in many senses to be the character because I am Aida in many senses. Aida was not a slave. She was a royal princess in captivity, which is a different accent, which has to do with my feeling. There were many qualities of Aida that I have as a human being. So Aida was me. She was an expression of myself. She still is. Anytime that I sing her, she is as I am as a human being, as I am as an American, as I am, who is dutiful and very honored to represent her country, she is also 
beautiful because I think my skin is beautiful as she was. I think there are qualities of nobility within myself which are inherited from my parents. There are so many things about her besides singing her that they merged to make her probably, if not the strongest role that I've sung, but the role that perhaps I will be remembered in operatic history, hopefully. Yes. I loved her and she loved me. She was special in the way that I think as a human being, I personally feel about life, about myself, and about my country. The preceding extract is one of the very few instances, I am led to believe, where Price spoke openly and seriously about her ethnic background in relation to her singing. Many commentators have noted how, when she did speak about her race, it was mostly in a joking fashion. Aida, for example, Price referred to as her makeup saver role. When a wardrobe mistress once forgot that she was in fact black and warned her about soiling her light costume with the dark Aida makeup, Price pointed to her skin and said, Honey, you'd be surprised. That won't come off.
Leontine Price there singing the aria Ritorna Vincitor from Verdi's Aida. And the Rome Opera Orchestra was conducted by George Scholti. And the recording dates from 1961. Over the next decade, Karajan led Price in some of her greatest performances. In the Opera House, most notably in Mozart's Don Giovanni, Verdi's Il Trovatore and Puccini's Tosca, and in the Concert Hall in Beethoven's Misa Solemnis, Bruckner's Te Deum and Verdi's Requiem as well as in the recording studio, where they even produced a best-selling holiday music album entitled A Christmas Offering. It was Price that Karajan chose for his first recording of Bizet's Carmen, a role that she never sang on stage, but to which, according to Hugh Canning, she brought a smoky, sultry tone and a hothouse sensuality rarely achieved on disc. Yeah. 
Sexy, smoky Carmen, if there ever was one. Leontine Price, together with the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra and the Vienna State Opera Chorus, conducted by Herbert von Karajan. Let's listen now to Price talking about her collaborations with Maestro Karajan. How was von Karajan to work with? Uh, was he very friendly to the singers when he was conducting? I think he's probably, he, as a vocal uh, maestro, he's... Uh, uh, par excellence. I mean, in my personal opinion, it was like floating on air because we had a, a very special chemistry. But I've read that some of my other, my distinguished colleagues felt the same about him. The voice was, was something so important that, it, that it, was, it was easy to sing with him because he, he gave such attention to making, it, making performing uh, with him easy, you know, very facile and and also that you enjoyed it uh, as much as the audience did you know I think I think it it was like floating in space uh, then I'm a little bit partial but I have I have read that my other colleagues think the same thing the next extract that I would like to play to you is the Liberame from Verdi's Requiem with Leontine Price as the soprano soloist and the orchestra and chorus of La Scala Milan conducted by Herbert von Karajan. And this recording is from 1967.
The final section, or Liberame, there from Verdi's Requiem, performed by Leontine Price, and the orchestra and chorus of La Scala Milan, conducted by Herbert von Karajan. For those of you who might be interested, um, there is a DVD of this performance available. Uh, it does make for some remarkable viewing. It, it's an extraordinary performance and also features the young Luciano Pavarotti, who was then in 1967 at the very start of his career. Price was a leading interpreter of the Lirico Spinto, which is Italian for pushed lyric, or middleweight roles of Giuseppe Verdi and Giacomo Puccini, as well as of roles in several operas by Mozart. You have once said in an interview I've seen that um, Verdi and, and Mozart are your pals. Uh, yes. You, you like them. Why, why is that? Be because they both, uh, I think Verdi probably more than, than Mozart, but Mozart, they write great ensemble operas, but they also write poignant focuses for each character. Um, also vocally, Verdi in particular, fits my voice perfectly. I have a soaring instrument, I have a lyric instrument, I have a legata line, I have uh, qualities of lyricism and dramatic qualities, and they all fit and they are the essence of Verdi heroines of my particular timbre. So it was easier. They fit like a glove. Yeah, more than Puccini? No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Puccini, there's a nobiltà involved in the writing of Verdi, except, and, and histrionically, the demands are of a different way, a different feeling, when Mozart is, is the same. Mozart, I do not have necessarily the traditional Mozart voice, but that doesn't keep me from loving him. It is, it is the same technique. Yes. Also, the extra quality, which I have in my voice, it is a dark, sensual coloring uh, from my own roots, you see. Which, which fits with Mozart. Which fits Mozart oh, in a yeah. different way. <laughs> in a different way, yeah. uh, Yes. Puccini is as a composer is a realist in that he loves the, his women, the hero, heroine so much that he, 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 he pulled them emotionally. You cannot sing a Puccini heroine without being involved totally I think it does emotionally. Be, it must be involved. Absolutely. Even in a sense of that same poignancy. You cannot sing Chocho San and Madame and Butterfly without feeling like a mother with all the sacrifices. With all. It is terribly wrenching emotionally. And you must keep control of the voice and the technique to keep them from, from being out, keep yourself emotionally from being out of control. But I like all three. The other two, particularly Verdi, I think, uh, fits me, my voice uh, consistently yeah. better. Leontine Price there talking about her interpretations of the roles of Verdi, Puccini and Mozart. Price's voice ranged from a G below middle C to the E above high C. She said she sang high Fs apparently in the shower. Her voice was noted for its brilliant upper register which sounds, according to Hugh Canning, like the sun bursting out of the clouds as she ascended towards high C. The smoky timbre and huskiness of her voice's middle and lower registers as well as its wide dynamic range were further characteristics. 
and despite the fact that Price's singing had all the agility and feather lightness of a much smaller voice, her vocal instrument was rather sizable, with the ability to send her sound flooding through her house the size of the Met, without straining, and with the marvellous reassuring suggestion that she has power to spare. Her special glory, however, was a legato line of floating, fine-spun phrases. She herself called her singing soul in opera. The sheer beauty of her voice, as one commentator notes, was like a shimmering velvet cloak that envelops the listener. Recently, in an interview with uh, Stephen Rubin in Opera News, you said, uh, one thing I'm really proudest of is that during all my years of study, all my years of exposure, all my years of experience, I have not in the process lost any of the original timbre of my voice, which is very dark, very dunkel in the tender sense. And when I say dark, I mean a black sound. In other words, to be perfectly frank, and this can be taken several ways, and I don't really care, I don't sound white. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And to me, that's worth the whole trip. Can a singer hear her own voice as others hear it? Perhaps not necessarily as others hear it, but you can feel it, which others cannot. I think every personal vocal sound has, uh, has, at least mine does for me, a very special vibration. I know within my whole um, makeup, my whole, my whole self, uh, certain things happen when I'm, when I'm singing that I, I, that I don't think anyone could feel but myself. It's a, a sort of personal presentation of yourself, in a way, I guess you'd call it. What I meant by that particular statement, which I've been um, confronted with several times, is not the first time, is that I think that there is, I'm speaking of what makes one voice individual of set apart from another. That is what I mean by that. In this particular sense, sense, it means knowing your own instrument. I know that there are particular qualities about my instrument that are dusky. There's a, there's a timbre about my voice that is dusky that I choose to call a dark sound. It can be dunkel. It can be what, what some people say dusky. I choose to say that it is a black sound, which is distinctly me. It, would, it divides me from, you know, uh, someone else. And I, I, since, since I am sort of I mean, I, I believe that everything, and maybe we're speaking of the true minority, I think it's the few individualists who are left in this world. I think that's the true minority left, of which I insist on being a part of. And I think that that maintaining one's individuality, and I think that, the, that my particular vocal sound has a distinctive sound which sets me apart from someone else. And I have not tried to take something from that through the years. Leontine Price proved herself best suited to the so-called middle period Verdi roles with their high legato lines and postures of noble grief and prayerful supplication. They, together with the Verdi Requiem, became her core repertoire. Price, however, also had her critics. Peter G. Davis stated in his book The American Opera Singer that Price had a fabulous vocal gift that went largely unfulfilled. Noting her reluctance to try new roles, criticizing her Tosca for its lack of a working chest register and her late Aidas for a swooping vocal line. Others have also criticized her hoarse lower register with its rough linkage to the top, as well as stiff technique and florid music and her occasional mannerisms. In mid-career, her voice became darker and her vocal style stiffer, disrupted by occasional outbreaks of self-indulgent emphasis, including scooping or swooping up to high notes. Her acting, too, varied over her long career. Her bass was praised for its fire and sensuality, and her early NBC productions show her moving naturally on camera. 
Later, she became a stiff, stolid, at times even an awkward singer-actress. She herself once said, I don't expect to win any Academy Awards. On January 27, 1961, Price made her long-overdue Metropolitan Opera debut, a co-debut, in fact, with the Italian tenor Franco Corelli that ended in a record 42-minute ovation, one of the longest in the Met's history, with most of the applause, as reports would have one believe, meant for Price. The following day, the New York Times critic Harold C. Schoenberg wrote that Price's voice was dusky and rich in its lower tones, perfectly even in its transitions from one register to another, and flawlessly pure and velvety at the top. It has enough volume to fill the house with ease, and she has a good technique to back up the voice itself. She even took the trills as written, and nothing in the part as badly wrote it gave her the least bit of trouble. She moves well and is a competent actress. But no soprano makes a career of acting. Voice is what counts, and voice is what Miss Price has. Schoenberg had less praise for Corelli, who, disappointed by his reception, said afterwards he would never sing with Bryce again. He did. Now, I've managed to track down a pirated recording of Price singing D'Amor Sulali Rosei from that very evening's performance of Il Trovatore. This recording was recorded live on January 27, 1961, at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. The conductor is Zubin Mehta, and the aria, this particular extract, was followed by no less than 15 minutes of applause.
receive your first ovation, in that moment you should use it like fuel, not to feed your ego so much, as to feed your desire to be better the next time, to earn the next audiences. And it's not that you, you, you should be using the applause as fuel. There's no way, better way to use anything because it's love and acceptance coming from thousands of people. So it can fill your pores. And if that doesn't inspire you, I have no idea what will. It is not a review that does that, particularly if it's a good one. You do not get set in your own laurels because some of the best performances I have given, some of the performances that were written as the best were not what I thought was the best. And that's the difference in Vive La Difference. You must be true to yourself. And some of the best ones I did may not technically have been what a critic or someone or the, or the ambiance of the musical uh, uh, would think. That is what I mean in difference. In other words, no one can convince you if you're good or if you're not. I mean, you should feel be. personally, I could have been better tonight. And so you don't, even a rave review, you know, uh, dissect it. You may or may not agree with it. It does make the fluttering, which I cannot stand, it does make all this noise. You have to stay focused because if the noise stops, the phone stops ringing. The manager stops calling. That's what I mean by commodity. Yeah. You can't get a baseball player. What is he good if he, if he can't hit home runs? The same principle. Or a tennis champ, if he, you know, eats a, if that's the way it is. It's very simplistic. And that interview clip with Leontine Price was preceded by a live performance uh, of D'Amor Shulale Rosé from Verdi's Il Trovatore, recorded live at the Metropolitan Opera on January 27, 1961. Some truly remarkable singing there. Although Price was not the first African-American to sing leading roles at the Met, she was the first African-American to earn the Met's top fee. A 1964 memo revealed that she was paid $2,750 per performance, which put her on a par with Maria Callas, Joan Sutherland and Renata Tibaldi. Birgit Nielsen, who had Wagner roles more or less to herself, earned a little more at $3,000 per performance. In October 1961, Price furthermore became the first African-American to open a Met season, which was a clear sign that she had arrived as a prima donna of note. Her arrival at the Metropolitan had been carefully timed, however. Although the Met's general manager, Rudolf Bing, had invited her to sing Aida after her Covent Garden success in 1958, she had turned him down on the advice of Peter Herman Adler, director of NBC Opera. According to reports, Adler had cautioned Price that when she does make her debut at the Met, she must do it as a lady, Leonora, and not as a slave, in other words, as Aida. As a result... When Price arrived at the Met three years later, she had several roles securely under her belt, a strong European reputation and several recordings out on RCA Victor. Price's relationship with the Metropolitan Opera was to be a long and enduring one. Over the next 24 years, she sang 201 performances there in 16 different roles at the house and on tour, including galas. Bing would later describe her as one of the great artists of our day and a wonderful human being. The combination, he said, makes her almost unique. In her ambitious first season at the Metropolitan Opera, Price sang no less than five roles. Leonora in Il Trovatore, Aida, Liu in Turandot, 
Chocho San in Madame Butterfly, and rather remarkably, Donna Anna in Mozart's Don Giovanni. Let's listen now to her recording of the aria Orsai Kilonore from Don Giovanni with the RCA Italiana Opera Orchestra conducted by Francesco Molinari Pradelli. Oh, <laughs> 
Orsai Kilonore, there from Don Giovanni by Mozart, performed by Leontine Price's Donna Anna and the RCA Italiana Opera Orchestra, conducted by Francesco Molinari Pradelli. Price has often been quoted for her many sharp and witty remarks, several of which have entered opera law. Once, when discussing whether she would sing the role of Mimi in La Fanchula del West in Atlanta, Bing warned Price that she wouldn't be able to stay in the same segregated hotel with the rest of the Metropolitan Opera Company. Apparently, she looked at him and said, Don't worry, Mr. Bing, I'm sure you can find a place for both me and the horse. In 1961, Musical America voted Leontine Price Musician of the Year with a poll of editors and critics all over the country. In 1964, she was awarded the Presidential Freedom Award and the following year she won the Italian Award of Merit. On February 28, 1965, she made her celebrated Carnegie Hall recital debut. Racial segregation was still very much a part of American life at the time and there were many Americans unconvinced that a black woman had the right to perform on the Carnegie Hall stage. Although hardly unprecedented at the time, Price's inclusion of four African-American spirituals on the program represented a clarion statement of solidarity and pride. Even though her singing has always, according to critics, conveyed a complex but fierce, unyielding attachment to her country, here she invested every song with that kind of potency. I consider myself an American troubadour, Price once said. It is my duty to express the beauty and prowess of our composers. Spirituals are my soul. They are the expression of me as an American, of me as a human being. She characterizes them as having the depth, the wonder, of any German lied or French chanson. I will sing your lied, she once noted, and I would like you to listen to mine. Let's listen then to Price performing two spirituals, Lord, I just can't keep from crying, and he's got the whole world in his hands, at that historic Carnegie Hall debut of hers, on the 28th of February, 1965. The last two of my favorite spirituals are arranged by a very good friend of mine, Margaret Barnes. The first is, Lord, I just can't keep from crying sometimes. And the last is, he's got the whole world in his hands.
Lord, I just can't keep from crying, and he's got the whole world in his hands, performed by Leontine Price with David Garvey at the piano, recorded live at Carnegie Hall in 1965. Leontine Price's close friendship with the composer Samuel Barber resulted in the Hermit Songs and also the female title role of his opera Anthony and Cleopatra that opened the new Metropolitan Opera season in 1966. I'd now like to play to you Cleopatra's powerful death scene from this opera and this will be preceded by an interview clip with Price talking about her work with Barber. The Metropolitan Opera Orchestra is conducted here by Thomas Skipper in this live recording that dates from 1966. How, how was he as a human being? As a human being, gentle, yet strong. A wonderful combination. We were very much good friends because my wonderful teacher at, my, at the Juilliard School of Music, that was my first introduction to Maestro Baba in her studio as a young student, which means that he knew my voice from its early development stages. And it was he who wanted my sound to sing the role of Cleopatra to open the greatest opera house in the world, the new Metropolitan Opera House, in 1966. Uh, that was so special, words fail me, because he wrote the music with my voice in mind and left, I think, a great heritage and legacy to himself. It is a beautiful score, and of course, to to be honored, uh, to have the honor of being the, the singer who opened the new greatest opera house in the world is an experience that will remain very heartfelt for me. Yes. I'm very fortunate to have been there and even more fortunate to have been able to sing his beautiful new music yeah. on that occasion.
Leontine Price there singing the powerful death scene from Anthony and Cleopatra, the new opera by Samuel Barber, which was premiered at the opening of the new Metropolitan Opera House in 1966. During the 1970s, Price gradually reduced her opera performances in favour of recitals and concerts, limiting her Metropolitan Opera performances to a handful each season. She hinted at frustration with the number and quality of new productions at the Met, referring in interviews to the fact that she wished to avoid overexposure, though this might simply have been a cover for the vocal adjustments she had to make in order to compensate for the natural changes in her ageing vocal instrument that she was experiencing. After 1970, Price added three roles to her repertoire, all of them with limited success. Giorgetta in Puccini's Il Tabarro, Puccini's Manon Lescaux, and Ariadne in Richard Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos. In October 1973, she sang Butterfly at the Metropolitan Opera for the first time in a decade, earning her an ovation that lasted for more than half an hour. Here is an extract from an interview recorded during the intermission of Price's first Ariadne at the San Francisco Opera in 1970. Did you ever have any ghosts looking over your shoulder uh, over the past years? Uh, that is... Uh, you have followed in a tradition that could be traced back through Milanoff, Rethberg, Ponsel, Jerica, the original Ariadna, Destin, Nordica, back uh, a century or more. Does this ever affect you? No, I'm frank mm -hmm. with you, it does not. I can be inspired. Um, please don't leave off La Callas, because oh, that's no. a distinct yes. inspiration, has been a distinct, very special type of inspiration she has, has been, I think, and probably should be for every contemporary opera singer. Um, not ghosts, because I don't... We get back to what I meant mm -hmm. about individuality. If you're worried about ghosts, that waste energy that you should be mm -hmm. presenting your own product, I think, you know, and it takes something away. You can be inspired, you can learn. It's like doing research with something that has already been placed. I mean, um, if you want to speak of distinct inspirations, I'm still, every moment of my life, inspired by a really, truly great lady who not only as an artist, but as a human being, continues to inspire me, and that's La Marian Anderson. But you can be inspired by people to, to help to maintain your own um, block of artistic, um, shall we say, in building the artistic building that we all try to, to build. And I do, I do maintain it. I think it's the, it's the most wonderful architectural feat in the world because I think it probably creative art will be the only thing left at the rate we seem to be going these days. It is um, beauty, building beauty and making things, um, um, sharing of emotions and being any part of the creative art form. I think it, all of us are very fortunate because it's something that is ever constant and ever fresh and ever moving towards a, a, a goal that, that is, 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 is a constant Speaking of, you know, Ariadne aspiring to the, you know, um, the Göttliche Lust, it's, it's the same type of feeling to be an art artist, I think. Uh, the most profound thing, I think, in the opera is the, is, the, is the end of the composer's marvelous face when he says that the most wonderful thing, the highest thing in the world is, is the art of music, you know, the art of making music. I feel very seriously about that myself, and, I, and I'm very grateful to those people, not as ghosts, but as inspirations on which I can help to build what I have to offer. That's marvelous. What, what do you feel you got from, say, the late Maria Callas? Anything specific or just the fact of her, of her existence? Her existence was very important to the operatic medium itself. It uh, made it, I think, uh, 
again, it rejuvenated it. I mean, her personality rejuvenated opera into a contemporary interest, like baseball. I really mean this. Uh, the, her energy and the, the uh, striving for, for uh, artistic perfection, uh, which I always admire, and her professionalism, her electricity itself, which may, was, may or may not be criticized by some, some people, uh, the ultimate aim that she reached was to make it an interesting, electrifying, popular art form again. Well, 20 years of singing finds you, your voice more supple, I think, than ever before, richer in all ranges, and I sense even more communicative. Um, now, does that represent a personal change in you? That represents your personal opinion. It does? <laughs> in a sense, yes, because I've always thought I was always communicative, always. And it's, a, it's a singular compliment, particularly at this particular chronological age where careers are usually expected to be sort of um, wavering off. I mean, you know, instead of having... Uh, I, I really get frightened sometimes, and I said that just a few days ago. I think I'm on somebody else's time from time to time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think it do, it's my personal care of it, having come through some crises, having learned many things through the years of experience, having to to realize that um, that this is a very I take it as a very precious gift that has been given to me. I take it also as my mode of speaking. I still do, of speaking very strongly and very definitely for us as a people. I, I, I don't know how I could really exist if I didn't think that, that was part of the whole plan. I feel just as strongly about that now as I ever did. And I think it has to do with me um, sort of completing my own circle as a woman too. Uh, growing up has a lot to do with that. I mean, because the vocal apparatus is the most personal instrument of all. It exemplifies exactly where you are, where you've been, where you came from, where you're going. And um, uh, I've learned to take care of myself, which automatically takes care of the instrument. I mean, that's it. Price had a late triumph in 1981 in San Francisco when she stepped in at the last minute for an ailing Margaret Price to sing Aida, a role she had not performed since 1976, opposite Luciano Pavarotti as Radames. Although the Opera House denied any such allegations, the San Francisco Chronicle columnist Herbert Kane reported that Price had insisted on being paid one dollar more than Pavarotti, which would have made her, for the moment, the highest paid opera singer in the world. After revisiting several roles in San Francisco, including La Forza del Destino, Dialogue of the Carmelites and Il Travatore, as well as Moraidas, as well as at the Mate, where she sang La Forza del Destino and Il Travatore, Price gave her last operatic performance on January the 3rd, 1985, in a broadcast Aida from the Metropolitan Opera. This was her 41st performance of Aida at the house. After taking an act or two to warm up, wrote the New York Times chief critic Donald Henehan, she produced Pearls Beyond Price, notably in her Act 3 aria, O Patria Mia, which received an ovation that lasted several minutes. In 2007, PBS viewers voted this performance of the aria their number one great moment in 30 years of Met telecasts. I prefer to leave standing up, like a well-mannered guest at a party, was Price's comment on her retirement from the opera stage. And I'd now like to play to you that very O Patria Mia, which was recorded at the Metropolitan Opera House on January the 3rd, 1985, with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra conducted by James Levine.
if any of you out there really have the chance or the opportunity to see this performance at some point, it really is remarkable and it's incredibly touching. Towards the end, as, as, as she receives the applause, you can see that she's battling to keep back the tears. And in a certain sense, I can't help but think that here, Price, as Aida, is not only lamenting the fact that she will never see her homeland again, but it is also Price, the artist, probably in a way lamenting the fact that she will never perform at the Metropolitan Opera again. Here then is O Patria Mia from Aida Baverdi.
A truly incredible rendition there of O Patria Mia, Leontine Price's last performance on stage in an opera at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. The Metropolitan Opera Orchestra was conducted by James Levine and this live recording, a pirated recording, dates from January the 3rd, 1985. After her retirement from the opera stage, Price continued to teach master classes at Julie Hard and other schools and also gave recitals for another dozen years. In 1997, she wrote a children's book version of Aida, which became the basis for a hit Broadway musical by Alton John and Tim Rice in 2000. The following year, aged 74, she was asked out of retirement to sing in a memorial concert in Carnegie Hall for victims of the September 11th attacks. With James Levine at the piano, she sang a favorite spiritual, This Little Light of Mine, followed by an unaccompanied God Bless America, capped with a high, well-placed B-flat. Today, at the age of 81, Price lives quietly in her home in Greenwich Village, New York City. Among her many honors are the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Kennedy Center Honors, the National Medal of Arts, numerous honorary degrees, and 19 Grammy Awards, including a Special Lifetime Achievement Award awarded to her in 1989, more than any other classical singer. These awards, along with various other accolades that have been awarded to her earlier in her career, have made her one of the most decorated performing artists of all time. In 2005, American talk show host Oprah Winfrey honored Price and 24 other influential African-American women at a special Legends Ball. Most recently, in March last year, BBC Music Magazine published a list of the 20 all-time best sopranos based on a poll of 21 British music critics and BBC presenters. Price was placed fourth after, in order, Maria Callas, Joan Sutherland and Victoria de los Angeles. The jazz artist Miles Davis, in his self-titled autobiography, writes of Price, I have always been one of her fans because, in my opinion, she is the greatest female singer ever, the greatest opera singer ever. She could hood anything with her voice. Leontine's so good, it's scary. Plus, she can play piano and sing and speak in all those languages. I love the way she sings Tosca. I wore out her recording of that. I wore out two sets. I used to wonder how she would have sounded if she had sung jazz. She should be an inspiration for every musician, black or white. I know she is to me. Here is Swing Low Sweet Chariot, conducted by Leonard DePauw. The recording dates from 1961.
Well, that brings us to the end of tonight's edition of Great Interpreters. From me, Adrian Fuchs, a very big thank you for tuning in tonight, and may you all have a wonderful weekend. And now to end with, I would like to play to you Leontine Price's version of Chi il sogno di Doretta from Puccini's La Rondine. And this is from her recital in Carnegie Hall, her recital debut at Carnegie Hall, recorded live on the 28th of February, 1965. The piano is played by David Garvey. Seems we're going to have time to fit in just one last track. Here is Omi Babi no Caro from Gianni Schicchi by Puccini, with Edward Downs conducting the London Symphony Orchestra and the soloist, of course, Leontine Price. From me, Adrian Fuchs, good evening and have a good weekend. <laughs>